When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The Natural Hat Trick with Luke Lipinski, Craig Morgan, and Jamie Eisner. Welcome into episode 254 of the Natural Hat Trick podcast alongside Craig Morgan. And Natty Hattie. And Jamie Eisner. And... We have a fourth guest. We do. <laughs> I've introduced myself yet. I should at least get introduced before him. I'm Luke Lipinski, and there is a spider somewhere in the closet I'm recording from. It's probably a she, Luke. Okay. He or she is somewhere in this closet. If it's a he, yeah. he's already been eaten by the female, so. That's probably true, yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, um, you guys have both assured me that you will uh, tell me if you see the thing like crawling across my shoulder, right? And you trust us? Yeah. I totally sure. trust both of you. Yeah. <laughs> One of you probably put it in here. In fairness to me, I decided to make the sacrifice instead of trying to hunt this thing down and said, you know what? I don't want to keep Craig or Jamie or the listeners waiting any longer. So we're going to do this podcast and I'm going to just survive this. Yeah, it's the first time for everything. It's a yeah, shame we don't have video. Well, you guys have video. Yeah, I was thinking of mirroring my screen and calling up something from the Lord of the Rings with Shelob or something, but <laughs> you'll be okay, I'm sure. I don't know who Shelob is. Shelob sounds like a like you the really should. winger in Ottawa. Dante <laughs> Shelob. All right. Let's start uh, with elimination day yesterday. 12 teams going in and five teams advance. Two teams couldn't decide something in the game that seemed the most decided in the third period yesterday. We talked about this at the start of the day yesterday, and I asked how many of these, uh, these six elimination games is a team going to get eliminated? And I said three, and Jamie said three, and Craig completely ignored us. And here we are. Five of them got eliminated, and a sixth one should have. I meant to say five. Oh, did you? Okay. Sorry. Sure. What, what, listen, yesterday was a fantastic day in the NHL. This, this, more than anything, sold me on the qualifying round. Two number 12 seeds advanced with Chicago and Montreal. A number 11 seed, of course, advanced with the Arizona Coyotes. And then we had that insane Toronto-Columbus game where the Blue Jackets blew a 3 nothing lead in the final, what, four-plus minutes of the game? Yeah. Yeah. It's just good theater. Right. The, literally to the second, Craig texted us, maybe we should get another version of No Canada ready. And Toronto scored as I read the text. And then they scored, and then they scored, and then they scored. And <laughs> there's no way you can possibly feel good about your Columbus pick after that. Well, and you also have to remember, not only did they score, if you were watching any of the game, and I forgot which Columbus player it was, has a shot at the empty net yeah. from the blue line and get it, gets it lodged in the plastic on the side. Yeah. 
And then the, then Toronto comes right back down and, and scores and ties the game and then wins in overtime. Yeah. The only thing I would say in, in Columbus's defense, first of all, they have John Tortorella, <laughs> in whom I still believe, even if he spent 47 seconds at the podium yesterday post-game because he was not happy and did not want to explain anything to anyone. Um, and these these uh, playoffs so far have just been so unpredictable and crazy that I, I have a hard time believing that momentum is actually going to carry over from one game to the next. I, I want to believe what you're saying. I think in a lot of ways Columbus has outplayed Toronto in the series. I just can't remember a time where a team – I can't remember a time where a team lost a lead like that in a playoff, in a knockout game. But anytime there's something that egregious, that team just doesn't seem to come back and win well, the next game. Well, Toronto did. Yeah, but I mean, I'm I'm thinking. Yeah, I mean, we just we literally just saw it. I mean, it wasn't elimination game in game two, but like we, but we it saw wasn't it. In four minutes though either. This this felt like this felt like Bartman reaching over and knocking the ball away oh, from Moises. Okay. Why you have to go there? Why oh. you got to go there? It's oh. preemptive because I know where this show is heading. But that's what it felt like. Like if you're Columbus, you're four minutes away from winning. Oh, okay, Toronto scored. All right, I guess there goes the shutout. Oh, they scored again. Like Jamie said, oh, we think we scored, but it's actually stuck in the side of the net, so the faceoff is not in Toronto's zone, and they just scored again. I didn't even get to watch overtime because my internet went out, but, I mean, there was a 0% chance Columbus was winning in overtime after that. I, what, what chance do you give them on Sunday? I'm like, still I respect going, Tortorella. I'm still going 50-50. I have no idea what's happening in this qualifying round. I just don't know. And, by the way, what makes you think that this – Podcast is headed to a dark place. Would it be the three words Pittsburgh postmortem that showed up on the show notes? Yeah, that could be part so of it. So you read them. You actually read the show notes. I did. I wanted okay. to know what I was in for. I wanted to clarify that. Thank you. Yeah. I, I'll give them a forty percent chance. I, I still think. I still think Toronto ends up winning it. Now they're still yeah, the better I'll, team. Like I know they're they're the classic choke artists, but they're still the better. They're still the better hockey team. I'll give Columbus like a five percent chance, especially because the way they win is by not allowing a lot of goals. So for them to give up four goals and whatever it ended up being total over the third period in overtime, that's that's the worst possible. Like it's not like they lost one nothing. It's not like it was scoreless and they ended up losing one nothing in overtime. They had a lead. That's supposed to be Columbus's one advantage in this series is if they have a lead, they don't give it up, and they gave it up in the worst possible way. But I want to go back to something that Craig has alluded to now once on the air and one off, once, one time off the air. We all liked yesterday. Are you saying, Craig, that you would prefer a qualifying round every year? I'm all in for this. I love this. It's, it's been fantastic. Just all the things that I just cited. This is, these are all the things we love about the NCAA tournament, right? The, the upsets yeah. in, in the early rounds. Uh, it rarely does a Cinderella run the table, but – there are some upsets in the early rounds that make it exciting. It, it, it makes it exciting for so many more fan bases. And look, I, I know there are people out there that, say, that are saying this year's cup is going to have an asterisk. And we've all said on this show already that that's just a ridiculous opinion to have. No cup will be harder to win than this season's cup, um, especially if you have to go five rounds. So I, I don't think it's going to happen for one of these lower seeds that they're going to run the table all the way to the cup, especially because the, the schedule is so condensed. They're just going to be gassed at some point here soon. But it gives more fans hope, and it brings more revenue in for the league. It gives the, the networks more to broadcast. There's so many upsides to this. And after watching these last couple days, I'm in. I'm sold. I am not. I don't want to see this again. This is fun. I'm enjoying it. There's going to be no asterisk with the cup here, but no. You're already going to have more. You already have more than half the league making the playoffs. It's going to be half pretty soon when Seattle comes in. 
no, I, I don't think we need more playoff teams. We don't need 24. Uh, I, I want regular seasons to matter. And, I, any, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to become very more NBA-like if we don't, where we don't need to care and don't need to pay attention to watch hockey until after the new year uh, at the way this goes. So I, I like this. I'm enjoying it for what it is at the moment. But no, I do not want to see this going forward. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. There are elements of it I would take. I, I really think they should do everything they can to stagger the starts next year in the playoffs. Even if it's just the opening round, there should be four or five games on each day. That's not impossible to do. We, we're seeing them do it. Um, I don't think there's an asterisk next to anybody that wins the Cup, with the exception of if Montreal does. They, I mean, they are not a playoff team. They should have been nowhere close to the playoffs. And to a certain extent, Chicago, only because if they win the whole thing, then that's four cups in the last however many years. And now you're talking about their place historically. And if you're talking about the Blackhawks' place historically, them winning the cup this year, I don't think matches up with the other three they've won. So I think there's at least a conversation if Chicago wins the cup. There is no conversation if Montreal wins the cup. It's a joke. But also Montreal's not winning another game, so it doesn't matter. But I'm sort of... On the fences, I mean, I really do like what we're seeing. I wonder how different it would be if we didn't just have four months off between. And yeah. I, I'm, I'm open enough to seeing what that looks like. I still think it would be fun, though. This has at least opened my mind to having a ninth playoff team in each conference. And maybe if you really had to push for a tenth, would sure. that be 20 out of 32 teams? But yeah. I, I'm, I'm with Jamie. 24 out of 31 or 32 teams is going to be – I don't know. What, you'd have to shorten the regular season by, what, 10 games to make it meaningful. I just I, sometimes I think those those playoff cutoff lines that we look at and we think are are correct are sometimes arbitrary. It's just what we've gotten used to. And I, I look, I understand not wanting teams under five hundred to make the postseason. So make, maybe you make that a stipulation. Maybe you do just limit this to the top nine or ten. But again, I think there are a lot of good reasons that I just stated. I won't restate those for for expanding the playoff format a little bit. And I, again, I, I think after a year or two. People just adjust to the new format and, and deal with it. Well, pe- people would adjust, but it doesn't mean it's the right. Th- I mean, it's the right thing to do for revenue. It's not the right thing to do for competitive. I don't think 16 is the right team e- is, is right either. I think that's too many, but that's what we have now. And obviously nobody's and no league is going to contract playoff teams. It just doesn't make any sense revenue wise. But I, I do think that regular season games should matter. And I don't want to see, we already have run the risk of below NHL 500 teams getting in. With 16, it's going to be crazy if we move that to 24. Like I just, I think at some point we're playing 82 games for a reason, and every every playoff team you add takes away the value of those playoff game, of those regular season games. Are you talking NHL 500 or real? Well, I mean, like like real, like win loss, not yeah. just the the yeah. Like we already have teams that in a 16 team format are below 500, have lost more games than they've won, but yeah. And that's just then you're going to have several of those teams if you move to that this sort of format going forward. I think either way, very clearly, this reiterates what I feel like 100% of hockey people agree on, and for some reason it hasn't changed. Just seed them one through eight so we can see some different playoff matchups in the first round. I mean, we are seeing matchups that we wouldn't see in a normal season because we would have to watch the same old Pittsburgh, Washington, you know, Columbus, Philadelphia, whatever. I mean, I guess they've never played, but you know what I mean? Like the same teams facing off in the first two rounds, that's – that is that limits the possibilities unnecessarily and it's self-inflicted. And I don't get why the NHL does that because if you want to build some amazing rivalry, that's going to happen organically in the playoffs. If two teams are good enough where they keep meeting in the second round or the third round, there's a reason for that. When Chicago and LA kept meeting five, six, seven, eight years ago, they weren't in the same division. It wasn't forced. They were just the two best teams in the West. So they kept playing each other. 
I'm fine if you expand to nine. Any more than that, I'd have to I'd have to think about. I, I I like a format that gives the number one or two seed a little bit of an advantage, like a first round buy or whatever. Yeah. But I mean, to do that, you're going to have to go to like 10, 11 teams. Now, I just I think that that's that's too many right now. But either way, this has been I don't want to say a lot of fun <laughs> because we haven't gotten to Pittsburgh yet. But for the most part, it's been fun. And honestly, a big reason is that they staggered the game so you can get involved in, and watch every series. Yeah. All right. Well, let me do the segue for you. Let me, let me paint a scene for our listeners. Imagine okay. a stage, a dark stage, a single spotlight, and the spotlight is blue. And in that spotlight is standing Luke Lipinski. And now we'll talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah, I don't, I don't know um... – I don't know where you go from here. I don't think you can just bring the same team back. I think that this is, you could look at this and you could say, okay, this is four and a half months off and you faced one of the best goalies. Like, I mean, like we've been saying leading up to these playoffs, nothing that happened in the qualifying round would, would truly be a shock other than if like a team, like I, I think the example I gave last week was if Toronto or whoever went up to nothing and was leading in a big way in the third game and then lost the series in a best of five, that would shock me. No team winning in the, in this qualifying round would shock me. So you, I guess you can use that excuse, but Pittsburgh got swept last year by an okay Islanders team and Pittsburgh lost their last two playoff games the year before against Washington, which is fine. Washington's a good team. They've lost nine of their last 10 playoff games. If you bring the same group back next year, why do you think it's going to be any different? And 11 or 14. I mean, they're 3 and 11 in their last 14 playoff games. It's, and they've won it, look, one playoff game in 28 months. The narrative is going, to, is going to be because it was a narrative going in that Carey Price won the Canadians a series. That's not what I saw. Carey Price was fine. Wasn't, I don't think he was sensational. He was fine. Carey Price is not the reason the Montreal Canadiens won the series. The Pittsburgh Penguins are why the Montreal Canadiens won the series. Their absolute lack of fire, which was really evident early in that elimination game yesterday, was it was just remarkable to me. It's like everything that Luke, like the the penguin, the self hating Penguins fan Luke says on the podcast all the time, was playing out in front of our eyes. Particularly in the last couple games of that series, uh, it, it's just I I don't know I don't know what you do with this team. I don't I, I don't understand why you know it's to Luke's point where they lose game one of the series and they can't ever seem to play catch up. I don't understand why that they can't seem to games that their goaltender gives them to win like Tristan Jari allowed them to be in that game last night or yesterday and they just could not capitalize why a clear top player in the league like Evgeny Malkin seems to shrink when Sidney Crosby's in the lineup I, I I just don't understand I don't know what you do to fix that because they're not in a great position to be really roster flexible anytime soon no I mean they'll be in a better spot when they get Lafreniere but still I mean that's still two days away so at this point uh, I'll hear. I'll say the the two positive things out of that series. If you're a Penguins fan, Crosby still looks really good, and John Marino is not going to obviously not getting any attention for Rookie of the Year, but he might be their most stable defenseman. Or if he's not, he's right behind Chris Letang right now. But I mean, to your point, Jamie, this is where this is where if you're a Penguins fan listening to this this podcast, you have the same I, I believe the same perspective I do. It looks like a shock to everybody else. They lost to Montreal. It's it was so predictable after game one because when the Penguins lose a game early in a series, especially if it's a game one, that they dominated the play, it's the weirdest thing. If Pittsburgh dominates a bad team and loses the game, they are done. It's been that way for the it really for about a decade with the exception of those two Stanley Cup runs, which I know sounds crazy to say, 
But those were the two that was the first year they brought in Mike Sullivan and the second year. The the biggest thing he did was seem to inject some heart back into this team. For a team that now the core has won three Stanley Cups, it is amazing the years they don't go all the way. If they face any adversity, they fold almost like any team I've ever seen. It's that's why to me it was so predictable. I know everybody laughed after game one that I said the series was over. I didn't even watch the second half of game three or any of game four because I've seen this movie before. If they lose a game they should win early, they're done. And if Malkin plays well for any stretch and doesn't get rewarded with points, he starts taking dumb penalties. That's when I turned the series off was late second period of game three. Pittsburgh's still up 3-2. He can't produce. He looked like he was out of shape too, by the way. Comes back and takes a dumb tripping penalty. And I was like, all right, well, Montreal will definitely tie it because Pittsburgh doesn't have a penalty kill. And they'll just keep taking dumb penalties until they lose. It played out exactly the way I thought after game one. What would you do as GM this offseason? I don't think it's Mike Sullivan's fault. And you start to go down the list of players that you can move and get something for. I, I mean, obviously, you're not moving Crosby. Crosby was fine in the series. If, if Jake Gensel finishes that pass he throws midway through the second period of game three, they'd probably win the series. I mean, you're not moving Latang. Uh, you're not moving Jake Gensel, who I think gets a pass because he was just coming off a bad shoulder injury. I'm not saying you move Evgeny Malkin, but I'm just – they're going to probably look hard at firing Mike Sullivan, and I don't think he's the problem, but I don't know what the solution is. It might just simply be you're at the end of your run, but it's such a weird way to end your run. It's not like you had salary cap issues. It's that a couple guys that have been there before and won are now like head cases in the playoffs. So I don't know what you do. Hmm. On the bright side. Oh, go ahead. Now, um, um, go ahead. You, if you have a bright side for Pittsburgh. No, it's not a bright side for Pittsburgh. I'm just going to enjoy the fact that Montreal is getting swept in the next round in a year where they desperately needed a high pick. They're going to pick 16th, and they're going to just suck and be mediocre for five more years. Yeah, I don't think this was beneficial to Montreal. A lot of people have raised the same question about the Coyotes, and we can get to that later, but I don't think they're in the same boat. I don't think this helps the Canadians, and I do think they're going to get absolutely boat raced in the next round. So, I mean, what are you going to do? You play to win. It's what happens, so there's not much you can do about that, but... Yeah, this does not benefit Montreal in the long run. And as long as we're talking about teams that are at sort of a crossroads, where do the Edmonton Oilers go from here? <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. I'm at a well, loss. I'm there's, really there's, at a loss. There's still plenty of holes in this team. We've talked about it before. Yes. But, you know, there's it, – it, it, you, you made the – Wrong, and and I don't want to blame it on one game, but you and I'm not trying to do that. But you made the wrong decision with your goaltender in game one, based out of loyalty and not out of any other logical reason, based on what you had seen from their play this year, which puts you behind the eight ball. Um, But two, this in in a way, and I again, I picked obviously picked the Oilers. I picked most of the teams that up losing in the first round. By the way, we all did. By Uh, the way, but uh, except the Coyotes, exactly. But um, we all did. But this Chicago, in retrospect, was a terrible matchup for them. And here's why. Teams usually can't skate with their top lines with Edmonton's top line. And nobody can, nobody can match like McDavid's speed and dry saddle, for example. But Chicago can come close. And I think the thing I look back, I know this is more about Edmonton, but I think we, we've seen that sometimes they can outscore their flaws. They can out-talent their flaws. And it allows them in a – regular season type schedule when they have a myriad of opponents to kind of cover for the fact that they can't defend at all. 
and their goaltending is shaky at best. But more importantly, they can't defend at all. And, and it's just – that's been a problem for, I mean, how many years now? I mean, it feels like we've been talking about Edmonton not being able to play defense for a long time, well before – uh, well before and well after the Larson for Hall one for one, them not being able to defend. But in retrospect, I, I feel like we maybe underestimated how much having tangible rest for the Chicago's top players had in the effect in this series versus like were they, this is a team that has always made. I'm not saying they're they're a great team. They clearly did not have a good season, but this is a team that's made a lot of deep runs. There are a lot of minutes and a lot of miles on Jonathan Taves and Duncan Keith in particular. And I think those two guys, their success in this series, I think a lot of it can be attributed to this is the first time they've got extended rest in a while. Like I know that I know they haven't had a deep run last year or anything like that, but they haven't had extended rest in a while. They're healthy. And this looks like the Blackhawks do early in the season where they kind of come out and they go, Oh, maybe the Blackhawks are gonna be this is what this that team looked like because those guys were healthy and rested. Uh, but back to the Oilers part, uh, it's it, until they become a better defending team and until they can have significant success with the puck when McDavid's not on the ice, they're never going to be anything more than what they are, which is a really flashy team that can put up decent numbers in the regular season. But in the postseason, you're really kind of limited in what you can do. Yeah, the, I think the problem here is that Dave Tippett does not how to know how to coach defense. It's it's pretty clear to me. <laughs> um Look, and Craig, you can probably speak to this better than any of us, but when I when I look at that series, and we all said, we were right about this, that was going to be the most entertaining series. And I I don't know what games you guys picked, and I had Edmonton in five, because I, I thought Edmonton could go on a run, but I think Chicago, in a lot of ways, is an experienced version of Edmonton. I don't put Kane and Taves on the level of McDavid and Dreisaitl, but the rest of Chicago, I, I think, is at least even with, uh, with, with Edmonton, and that team, a lot of their main guys know how to win, obviously. Connor McDavid has won, what, one playoff series in his whole career, and it's not his fault. But I do wonder when exactly we're going to see them go on a run because this was the year to do it, and they didn't even get to game five. Yeah, and I mean, they have, they have $10 million in cap space, I believe, this, this offseason, so they might be able to tweak some things. But like, like Jamie just said, they have a lot of holes. I, I think they could could stand improvement on their blue line. Clearly they, I, I'm not convinced that they have the goaltending situation sorted out and they still need help on the wing. So how do you do all that? I, I don't know. Maybe one of those, uh, one, maybe one of the possibilities is trading RNH and maybe they need to move on from Nugent Hopkins and just build around those two guys. I, I don't know, but at least for next season, it doesn't look like Edmonton has enough wiggle room to make much of a difference with what they have on the ice right now. I guess if I if I looked and I saw, okay, yeah, for whatever reason, McDavid just didn't perform in the series, which is impossible, or Dreisaitl or whatever, but they both played well, and they mm-hmm. still couldn't win. And the two series we've talked about so far, look, I do think if there wasn't a four-month break, Pittsburgh finds a way to beat Montreal. They clearly weren't going to beat anybody in the next round with the way they were playing. I'm not sure Edmonton beat Chicago, even if there was. I, I hear what Jamie's saying, that the break certainly seemed to help Chicago, but, it, I mean, McDavid came out of that break 100% healthy and ready to go. I just think there are teams Edmonton can't beat. Uh, it's I a mean, style I, of team. Yeah, and and that's pro- there's probably something to that, but the the age of Chicago's legs certainly factors into this as well. One thing that I was completely wrong on, and not wrong on, I, I mean, I've always thought he's a very good player. I just didn't think he belonged in the top three in the Calder voting. But Dominique Kubalik had a ridiculous series, just a ridiculous yeah. series. He re- he made a name for himself, I think, in this series. 
He did, and I feel like I saw more Kirby Doc than Connor McDavid in this. Yeah, series. that was another good sign, stuff. right? It's another yeah, good yeah. sign for the Blackhawks. Kirby Doc looked really good. And this this is really what Chicago for a while wasn't doing. And every time we compare Pittsburgh and Chicago over the years, it's like, well, Pittsburgh found Gensel late, and they found Tristan Jari or Brian Rust or all these guys. And Chicago didn't have a ton of those guys. Now all of a sudden they do have another wave. Well, they, they had them. They just traded them. Yeah, they moved them all. <laughs> I mean, they have arguably the best scouting staff in the NHL. They keep uncovering these guys. But, yeah, they kept moving them. Stan Bowman kept moving them. So now you've got a couple guys that you can look at. And, yeah, and Boquist as well. You've got, got a bunch of guys that you can say could be pieces for the future. What do you think? We don't know who Chicago is going to play yet. It's either going to be Colorado or Vegas as we record this. And, obviously, the Coyotes will play the other one. And we'll get to the Coyotes in a second. But, I mean – do you just think Chicago's done after one round? If if it's Chicago, Colorado, well, we could see like eight, meet. six games. Yeah, it'd be a track meet. It'd be yeah. it'd be so much fun to watch. But for for you know, from a Coyotes perspective, if you're looking at those two potential matchups, I think the Coyotes would probably rather see Colorado as well. Vegas, while they did okay against them this year, that team with its that big heavy four check, it just seems to be exactly what kills the Coyotes. I, I just don't see them having success against Vegas. Now, listen, I don't see them being Colorado Isler. Colorado has a ridiculous amount of skill, far more than the Coyotes do. But there are elements of the Coyotes' style of play, their defensive structure, their goaltending, that at least give them a chance in that series. Um, so, I mean, if we'll get, we'll get to that sort of matchup later. But, man, if I had to choose who Chicago was going to play, I'd rather see Colorado simply for the entertainment value. I mean, I was watching um, hockey with with some people that watch it a little bit, but weren't watch you know don't watch every team that closely. And they just they could tell the difference between a Chicago Edmonton game, even when there weren't goals being scored, and pretty much any of the other seven series, <laughs> just because Edmonton doesn't play defense. They line five guys up like in a straight line, and they watch the other team shoot on whoever their goalie is. And Chicago doesn't really play a ton of defense either. But it was just I don't remember the puck ever being in the neutral zone in that series. <laughs> it was always in somebody's end. And I think to a certain extent, Colorado, Chicago, Colorado's better than Edmonton, but I think that it would be sort of similar and over seven games. Yeah. I'm all in on that series. That would, it would again be the most entertaining series. Yeah. Agreed. For five games. This is all fun and games till Chicago gets good again. <clears throat> right. And then yeah, still, have a, that's still have a ways to go. That blue line's still bad. I mean, when yeah. Duncan Keats not on the ice, it's a problem. Yeah. So there, there's, yeah. there's still a ways to go, but uh, good thing they traded Henry Jokiharu. Um, speaking of teams that have a long way to go, um, why didn't the Rangers and Panthers show up in the qualifying round? And as I asked in the show notes, why is it Dale Talon's fault that both of them did not? Um, I think I can answer the Panthers question. I think the Islanders just smother teams and they, they, to me have surpassed Minnesota as the most boring team in hockey, but they're good. And, um, so to me, that's why I don't think Florida, I'm surprised Quenville couldn't find a little bit of a way around it. But I think that's the answer there. Carolina, in retrospect, uh, beating the Rangers, they clearly are a better team. I thought talent coming out of this big break was going to help teams more than it did. But I'm, I'm a little surprised the Rangers just never even pushed back at all in that series. Carolina's not Washington or Boston, you know? Yeah, I mean, in retrospect, I think that was a mistake on our part because I still think we were looking at it as, look how hot – the Rangers were late in the year. Look at what Mika Zibanejad did. Look at what Artemi Panarin did. And like the high-end talent disparity at the very tippy top of the roster made us go, uh, maybe. But Carolina is a much better possession team. They're a much better overall team. They're a deeper team. And then when Shesterkin didn't play 
for the majority of the series, it took away any potential advantage that they would have over who Carolina was putting in net. So in that sense, that was probably like, eh, I probably put too much weight into how Zibanejad and Panarin finished the season four months ago. Um, and, and maybe not into, okay, let's take a step back and look at what it is long-term. On the Islanders in Florida, I think part of it's absolute, you're absolutely right about just the Islanders just suffocate teams. But Florida just not being able to figure out their goaltending situation still after all of this time and after all of that money. I don't, I don't, not saying Bobrovsky was the number one reason, but he was among the top reasons why they weren't competitive in this series. And yeah. that's a problem because now this is an entire, you had basically an off season and came back against a team that's not exactly going to light you up offensively. And you were seeing the same mistakes we saw all season with Bobrovsky. That has to be incredibly concerning because that is a massive contract they gave him. And now not only have they not solved that problem, they've now created a new one. Let me ask you guys this about the Eastern Conference. And we don't, we don't know who's going to win Toronto or Columbus yet. I, I do pretty, pretty confidently think it'll be Toronto at this point. But either one, if you take those teams and the other three teams that have advanced – who, if any, do you see having a chance against those top four teams in the East? Because to me, Boston is daunting. I, I know that they haven't looked good yet coming out of the, the restart, but I mean, they're still, they were the best team in the NHL this year. I think Washington, as much as I hate to say it, may be running back towards the cup again. Philadelphia hasn't missed a beat here coming out of the break. I thought they might be the weakest of those four. And I do think if Washington doesn't make it, this is Tampa's year. I, I, I think the more, the more we're seeing, I'm really leaning towards picking Tampa Bay to at least make the Stanley Cup this year. But I just – I don't see any of those four teams. I'm sure one of them will because it's hockey. I'm sure one of those four teams will lose in this upcoming round. But I don't see who it's going to be and to who. Well, I think Carolina and Toronto could both do damage if they got to the next round. There are flaws on both of those teams, but if Toronto's skill takes over, I think they can. And Carolina's – they've been impressive. Granted, their their opponent was not, but that that's an impressive team that – that made a deep run last year, so they have some experience as well. So I, I would look at those two teams. I agree. I, guess, I, mean, I, I, I would say Carolina a little bit more so than Toronto because I still don't think they've they're gonna, even if they come back and win this series, I don't think they've vanquished that choke gene. That's just whatever is is within that team. That I thought maybe wouldn't be there because you know they're not playing in front of fans and it's a different environment. It's been extra time off, but you know Carolina because they have the puck all the time can be a team that could get up on you and then all of a sudden you're trying to play catch up in a series. And they do have some goal scorers. I mean, I think there's this perception that you want to put Carolina in that category with Minnesota and the Islanders of just, they're kind of a boring team that, that finds a way to win. Like now, Sveshnikov is, is legit. He looks like he should have been the number two pick in that draft. Sebastian Ajo. And they, they have a good team. I, I tend to agree with you guys that Carolina or Toronto would be the, the ones out of that group. I would most likely pick to win in the next round. We don't know who they're going to play, though, but we know it's either going to be Washington or Boston, and that's the thing, right? Because Philadelphia and Tampa Bay are playing for the number one and two seeds today, so they will get, what, the Islanders and Montreal. I mean, talk about a game that has a lot on the line. Do you want to play the Islanders in the next round, or do you want to play Montreal if you're uh, if you're Philadelphia and Tampa? I don't know. The East, we knew it was top-heavy all year. There's a very strong case to be made that, what, four of the top five teams in the NHL have been in the East all year or five of the top six or whatever. But uh, I guess we – I can't believe we haven't talked about the uh, Coyotes yet, but let's let's get back over to the West here. We all picked Arizona in five. What you see from the series that encourages you going forward? This, this makes me happy in the fact that we're just skipping right over Vancouver and the Wild. Who? Thank you. Okay, we discussed them. 
I tried to watch overtime last night. It lasted 10 seconds. <laughs> Good. So you could save this Speaking all. of a team that choked, yeah, yeah. yeah. Minnesota really choked this one away. Um, in terms of the Coyote series, looking at the nuts and bolts of it, I mean, we, we, we saw some of the elements that have been there all season long. We saw elite goaltending from Darcy Kemper, which was first and foremost the most important aspect of them winning this series. Uh, we saw at times defensive structure, and I know that may seem odd to, to people because they got outshot so badly, but there were a lot of times where the shots were manageable, and that's part of the structure. That's part of what the Coyotes want to do when they're defending teams. So when you look at shot totals instead of genuine scoring chances, you may be misled a little bit. Not to say that Nashville didn't have some scoring chances. but And then the other thing that I saw from them, and, and, and this was, I mean, it's, it's their identity. It's who they want to be. But they got scoring up and down the lineup, and Nashville did not. Nashville was very top-heavy with their offense, and that was a problem. The Coyotes got it from all kinds of areas, including some underperforming superstars that they needed to see perform in this series, like OEL, like Phil Kessel, like Clayton Keller. So all those elements added up to a, a four-game series win. I think there were there are two key things for me, and one of them we knew going in, one of them we didn't, and we're glad to see. The first one was goaltending, which we obviously knew was going to be an advantage for them, and it's going to be an advantage for them in the next series, uh, whether they play Colorado or they play Vegas. But the second thing that I think was really encouraging for this team was resiliency. And that's something, whether it was overcoming the Schmaltz injury, whether it was overcoming, you know, we had a two-goal lead, then it went away, and then we had a lead, and then we give up a goal at the last second to go to overtime. Those are easy opportunities for young teams in particular to just wilt and fold, especially when you haven't been there before and they didn't. And that was something that was really encouraging to me. Yeah, I think along those lines, I mean, what was the number there? Ten, ten Coyotes had a combined six career playoff games and included in that list was the main guys, some of the main guys like Taylor Hall and Clayton Keller and, yeah, I mean, all of the all of the Jacob Chickrens, Christian Dvorak's, Connor Garland's, all these guys that you you lean on throughout the season at various points or another. I mean, there's ten of them, ten ten consistent players. I mean, I guess maybe Barrett Hayton and Vinny Henestrosa put a little. I mean, because they split time in the series. But either way, you're talking about ten guys that routinely play had a combined six career playoff games, and five of them were were Taylor Hall. And again, it's not like Taylor Hall had a ton of experience. So to have that, to have Darcy Kemper with five career playoff starts before this series. And to Jamie's point, be able to get over the fact you didn't have Nick Schmaltz, to be able to get over some really rough starts in all three of the wins, really, where Nashville came out and looked dominant early and the Coyotes weathered the storm, then got the first goal. Yesterday in particular, you go up 2 nothing. Nashville comes back. You go up 3-2 and Nashville scores with 32 seconds left and you still come out and win in overtime. That, to me, didn't look like an inexperienced team. And I know they have playoff experience in the form of Nicholas Jalmerson and Derek Stepan and Phil Kessel and Rick Tockett, but half the team has no playoff experience. And so that to me, that, that resiliency, you just, you don't know if you're going to have that until your group is actually in a playoff scenario. We just talked about Pittsburgh. That's the team that's won three cups. They didn't have that resiliency. The first thing that went South, they just completely, they just completely folded and they're not the only team. So that was encouraging to me. And also the fact that this is how the Coyotes are built to win. Darcy Kemper had 152 saves in four games. Maybe that's too much. Maybe that's not ideal. But this team is built to win with goaltending, with defense allowing shots, but maybe not high percentage shots all the time, and then just counterattacking. And that's essentially what they did. There were stretches in the series where it looked like Nashville was, was going to run them off the ice, but Nashville didn't score in those stretches. And that's how they're built to win. To emphasize the, the point that I made about uh, 
balanced scoring too. And we always talk about secondary scoring being a critical aspect of playoff success. Alex Kinkoff, the uh, Coyotes website writer, just tweeted this stat. Of the 19 skaters to dress for the Coyotes in the qualifying round, 16 recorded at least one point and 11 scored at least one goal. That's secondary scoring. Yeah. They, and they had 14 goals in the four games. So, you know, yeah. the, the talk was certainly, oh, maybe Kemper will win them a bunch of two-to-one games. I mean, they scored four goals in each of their three wins and two very late goals in their one loss. But 14 goals in four games is a lot more than most teams. And to your point, to have that, that balance, it, yeah. they're going to have an uphill battle in the next round, certainly. I think most of these teams that won in the qualifying round are going to have an uphill battle. But you, you like what you saw from the Coyotes. It didn't feel like a fluke. They won in four games. They won their way. And – they just – they always seem to match up well with Nashville. They just – they really do. That's nearly a goal per game more than they scored during the regular season. And as Rick Tockett said during training camp, it was a real focus to try and squeeze some more offense out of this team. And they did, at least for the short term they have. Who um, – let's, let's, I guess, now have the conversation. Craig and I were having this conversation the other night before we knew it was going to be either Vegas or Colorado. And – I came to the conclusion, as crazy as it sounds, I actually wanted St. Louis in the next round if I'm the Coyotes. I don't know, if Craig, if you agreed with me. or I, I mean, did, it's the lesser. It's the lesser of, of, of four. Um, I mean, they're all going to be tough. Yeah, Dallas, just because they don't match up with that team for they some don't. reason at all. And uh, Jamie Benn is likely to injure Oliver ekman Larson in game one. So it's a given. I wouldn't want to see that. But yeah, and then the other two teams we'll, we'll talk about here in a minute. But yeah, I, uh, St. Louis, to me, they had some success against them this year. It's a team that has a lot of mileage on its legs from the cup run and all that, although they did have a long break. But I just don't feel like St. Louis is going to do it again, so I, I would have liked to see that. But obviously, it's not, it's not happening now. No, and also thanks to Vancouver, as much as I don't want the Canucks to go very far, for sparing us the possible Minnesota-Dallas matchup <laughs> here in this next round. <laughs> that would have been hideous. It's not easy being green. Um, <laughs> I, you mentioned uh, you, that's why Seattle didn't even go green. They went aqua. Um, you mentioned Craig probably rather see the coyotes get Colorado at this point. I tend to agree, uh, for a while there, I was thinking Vegas, but those physical teams, especially over a seven game series, Mm -hmm. I would just, I'd rather get in track meet with somebody and see what happens. I know Colorado's loaded. I know everybody except Jamie acknowledges they could win the Stanley cup. Um, I know the coyotes will be heavy underdogs. They're going to be heavy underdogs against any of these teams. I would rather, like I said, I'd rather face the defending Stanley cup champs because that team also has more pressure and the coyotes have none. But of, of Colorado, Vegas, I think I'd rather have Colorado. I may come that those I may eat those words in two weeks. Right. But when you look at the, the strengths of the Coyotes, uh, Colorado at least allows them to play to some of those strengths. Vegas, Vegas will just hem them in their own end and it'll just be an ugly, ugly series for the Coyotes. Yeah. But, you know, they've, they've actually played some really good close games with Colorado over the past couple seasons, too. So I, I think there are some things they can do. I, I, I don't think that they would win that series, but I think they could probably be more competitive in that series than they would be against Vegas. And to be yeah. clear, they've beaten Vegas this year and last year, but it's, it's different in the playoffs. Vegas has playoff experience. We should yeah. make it clear, by the way, that we're recording this uh, uh, about we're, – we're, they're about to drop the puck between yeah, Colorado and Vegas. So the Coyotes will know their, their playoff opponent, their first-round playoff opponent, um, but before this uh, podcast gets posted, actually. But we're, we're discussing both right here. Yeah, I don't think it's going to end up mattering that much because I don't think this is going to be a long series. Uh, because you're a way. huge Colorado fan, as you have been from the start. <laughs> no, I, I just think it just both of those teams have just so much firepower. Um, I guess I, I, if I had to pick one Colorado, because I think it might be a little bit easier for Darcy Kemper to steal 
a series there. Like if you if that top line, those top couple lines have an off game, you have a better chance versus where I think Vegas is a little bit more balanced, but and more physical. But uh, I don't know. I don't think this is going to be a good or long matchup for the Coyotes either way. Before we move on to listener questions, what what concerns do you guys have about the Coyotes after watching that series? I listed a few here. Obviously, possession. They they didn't win that battle. Mm-hmm. Their PK has to get things sorted out. Um, You'd like to have Nick Schmaltz back. I think he could help them, especially against Colorado because of his speed through the middle of the ice. They're going to need that. And then uh, one thing that I put down on the notes, he was okay in game one. I thought he really struggled in game two, and then he got pulled out of the lineup. Barrett Hayton didn't show me much. Yeah, I I think I expect big things from Barrett Hayton next season. Um, I don't really necessarily in these playoffs because you're right. We, we talked about this in the press box after the first game. It was like, oh, Hayton kind of held his own. And then and there was a reason he got pulled and Vinny Hindestrosa got put in the lineup. Um, I, also, we haven't even talked about Michael Grabner, but to me that's one of the best stories <laughs> of the playoffs right now. Yes, it is. Just because of all that guy has gone through. And I understand if you are a Islanders fan right now. Well, I guess the Islanders know about Grabner. But, I mean, if you're a fan of another team, you're probably not watching the Coyotes that close and saying, oh, that's awesome that Michael Grabner scored. But considering all he's gone through, and you could even hear it when Rick Tockett was asked about it after the first game. I mean, he said how difficult it is to sit that guy. There was talk Grabner might not even come back here for the restart. He might opt out just because of stuff he's got that he's dealing with. And and honestly, at the time, it sounded like he probably wasn't going to have a chance to play. Then he steps in and scores two goals, one of them a game winner shorthanded in that first game. Look, the Coyotes haven't been here in a while. If they lose that first game, I don't know if they win that series. So Grabner played not just a huge sentimental role, but he was, he was massive for this team. Before we move on from the Coyotes, and I, I wouldn't call this guy a weakness because he ended up with four points and he had a goal yesterday, but where would you – how would you assess Phil Kessel in that, in that series? Like what sort of grade would you give him? I thought he was much better. Um, I, I don't. I wouldn't get him up into the A range, but I'd give him a B for for what he did in the series. I thought he was dangerous, which is good to see. He shot the puck, which is good to see, and he looked like he had his speed back. He looked like he had his legs back, and that's obviously critical to his game. I wanted to see him score in the series, so it was good to see him put the puck in the net yesterday because, as as important as assists are, he, he's a goal scorer, and you need to see him get going. So overall, much better than we saw in the regular season. Yeah, I'd give him a B as well. And, and to kind of put a bow on this, I want to see a little bit more from the power play as well. Uh, I'm interested to see if we get as many penalties in the next round because I think that yeah. was the overarching thing that I think surprised me the most were particularly in the first you know, games one, games two, and games three in general across the NHL were how many penalties were called. Uh, some of it I'm sure is sloppy play from, you know, you haven't skated for a while, you haven't played in live action, you know, you're, the, the hooks, the holds, those things are there, but... I don't remember seeing any sort of playoff-like atmosphere with this many power plays. So I want to see if this, is this trend going to continue or is it going to go back to where we've seen most playoff games where you pretty much have to you know, commit a felony on the ice in order to get a call. Yeah, and Taki was asked about that. I think it was after the second game. And, and I thought he gave a good reason, even if it ends up being true or not, of just, you know, guys are, are skating a little bit slower. They're not moving their feet. And so they're, they're taking the, the lazy way and just trying to hook a guy that's getting away from them that has the puck. But I, I think it's impossible to put all the, the blame or, or all the reasoning on just the players. I think the officials really – and it got better in the Coyotes series. The games three and four, there weren't nearly as many power plays. But, I mean, there were games – and it wasn't just the Coyotes series. It was pretty much every series where teams each had seven power plays. Yeah, I mean, like, there were 13, 14, 15 power play games. Uh, yeah. I mean, and it, it just – and not and some of them offset, but most of them didn't. Like, and 
that can't. You know, we had a major penalty in the game last night, and I mean, there's just there's just been a lot. Uh, and I'm not saying that they're necessarily unwarranted. It's just it's not common for this time of year. Were you it's surprised? Hockey's common for August, but you know, that's true. <laughs> were were you, you know. surprised at all that there were um, as many fights as there have been? There's not usually fights in the playoffs either, and with everything going on. I mean, there was one of the series started with a fight. Didn't Vancouver, Minnesota start with a fight? Yeah, I think it did actually, right off the wing, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to remember who was in, engaged in it, but yeah, who it was, but maybe like maybe that's just pay. another another example of this feeling more like preseason, early season games where people are still trying to establish things. I don't know. It's all weird. Um, it's weird, but it's great. Let's weird uh, and wonderful. I mean, because, you know, even as frustrating as it is, if you're a Penguins fan or an Oilers fan or whatever, we've just been talking about the actual sport and the on the ice stuff now for a week, not any other trash off the ice. So it's just nice that the NHL has done this right and we have legitimate playoffs. There's other stuff for us to get into, but I think most of it will get brought up in the listener questions. So I will start with Tony. Which team, if it wins the lottery, will make everybody lose their minds? And why is it Edmonton? Um, you've you've answered the question. Yep. <laughs> it, uh, it'd be Edmonton or Toronto if they lose yeah, the next game. People won't be happy with Toronto. People will be displeased if Pittsburgh wins it as well. But yeah, Edmonton is clearly at the top of the list because they've had so many chances at this already. And look where they are, man. Honestly, if Edmonton wins, they they need to just they need to put that envelope in a corner and never tell anybody. And just any other team, I'm with you. Toronto winning would be infuriating because. They got handed Austin Matthews, although they were at least the worst team that year. They were. Edmonton has been it's funny how the lottery worked that one year, huh? It's <laughs> the one year it worked. Yeah, convenient. Um, who who can win this lottery at this point that people are going to be okay with? I mean, Florida. Florida. Yeah, I guess Florida. <laughs> Would anyone be angry at Florida? <laughs> no, but I mean, is anybody going to care if Florida wins? Because even if Nashville, the Rangers win, Nashville. Would anybody be angry about that? Even though Nashville yeah. was okay. The, I don't think people would mind Minnesota. Yeah. He'd just It'd be disappointing. Fade into Bolivia. How do you fade into a Bolivian playing in Minnesota, playing hockey in Minnesota? It's crazy, isn't know, it? When, when you sign two players to terrible contracts at the same ah, time. There you go. I tried to give uh, Minnesota the benefit of the doubt that they were going to make a little, they, they were going to beat Vancouver or something, if, even though I ultimately picked them. They did nothing. There's any justice in the hockey world, which we know there's not. The there's team not. that deserves to get it, because in the in the grand scheme of they did everything they could, they did everything right, and they fought back. It's Columbus. Yeah, that's yeah. the team that deserves it. The team that said, you know what, we know we know we might not win the cup, but we're going to go all in last year. We're going to give it a shot. Then they come back this year without all of those guys that left, the Duchesnes and the Panarins, all those guys left, and come back, and they still were a competitive team this year. Yeah, they're still going to a game five. Yeah, yeah. So, but if they lose, the only series, that's the team that deserves to get the number one pick. Yeah, that's cute and all. I don't even think Columbus really has ping pong balls on there. I think it's just Winnipeg, Edmonton, and maybe Toronto if, if they end up losing. Winnipeg's the one that, that's going to sneak in there and get him. And, and we didn't really talk about that series at all. I think we probably, I guess, should before we hit the rest of these questions. Um, I still think Winnipeg was the better team, but they just, it's tough. Well, when you don't have Shifley and, and you lose your star center lining. in the first period and you, you'd, yeah. your star, the other star is not playing. I mean, I don't, I don't know what you do at that point. Yeah, well, you losing four apparently, and I don't know if if Calgary, maybe that's all Calgary needed, and now they're going to go on a run. Who knows? I, I guess a lot of it will hinge on who they're playing. But there's a decent chance Calgary plays like Dallas. I mean, I would take Calgary over Dallas. How are we going to do our predictions here? 
because we're we're not going to do another one of these shows in the next two days. So I think we should just gonna... pull them out of a hat because we might have better yeah. success than we did actually <laughs> thinking about them. We'll, we'll do. Is... We'll do. We should do them on Twitter. We'll do them. On I am going to post okay. a Natty Hattie leaderboard, and it's it's pathetic. Oh, actually, well, it's yeah. It's oh, like God. please don't. Yeah, it's like a hmm. feels like a senior golf tournament that I'm. I might go two and with. six. I think. Yeah, I think I we all will. We if, we all if have Toronto a wins. Yeah. yeah. No, no, I picked Toronto. Vancouver. No, I picked Vancouver. So you have you have two wins right now. I think we all yeah. have two wins, and it hinges on this last one. If Columbus wins, I have three. If Toronto wins, yeah. you guys both have three. And but you get a bonus point because you predicted one series number of games right. So you have a chance to take the lead if Toronto wins. I did. I don't like the scoring system. It's, it's a sad little That's lead, right? Because I had Canucks in four. That was my congratulations on picking was... less than fifty percent of the series correctly. <laughs> you are our winner. Yep. Yeah. You hey, you know what? <laughs> Being good less than 50% of the time is good enough to get in the second round now. So, <laughs> Just shows you how crazy this qualifying round was, though, right? That, that's your award, Jamie, for, for, yeah. for uh, being the leader after the qualifying round is you just get backhanded compliments and, uh, and disdainful remarks hurled your way, which is just like any other show. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, but I mean, the next round, I would hope we do a little bit better in the next round. It's, it's crazy because I usually pick, I usually let emotion dictate my picks when it comes to hockey, so I typically pick the teams I don't want to win. Of these eight series, if Toronto wins, which I think they will, the team I wanted to win lost seven of them. The Coyotes are the only team that won that I wanted to win. And some of them I didn't really care, like Carolina and the Rangers, or even Florida and and the Islanders. But the other ones I kind of did, and every team. So you would think I would be about to go seven and one right now with these picks. Um, Okay. There are many more questions, and the internet just went out. So... Somebody asked, well, that's just mean, and it's directed at Jamie. Um, Seth, I did not see this. With the way Grabner and Henestrosa played, who is out if Schmaltz is ready to play? And did our backup, backup, backup goalie leave Arizona head up to Edmonton yet, or is it unnecessary, assuming Ranta is out for precautionary reasons? So we do need to talk about Ranta. I'll answer the latter first. Uh, No, no. Ivan Prozvatov is still in Arizona in, in the bubble here. They do not think this is going to be long-term for Ante Ranta. He should be ready by the next series. So that's, that's not going to be an issue. Um, as to the first one, that's a good question at this point. Um, I'm not pulling Grabner out of the lineup at this point with what he's given you so far. And, and Vinny Hinestroza was, he was an energizer yesterday. So it would be tough to change that lineup if, if Nick Schmaltz is ready to come back. But as I said, if it's Colorado, you could really use his speed. So you got to think about who might be coming out of the lineup. I don't know. I, there, you, you can make arguments for a number of players. I really liked that physical line that they put together with uh, Soderberg, Kraus, and Fisher. I thought they made an impact uh, physically. So it's a tough decision. Does this uh, win in your guys' mind? I know we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but now the Coyotes, no matter no matter how you want to look at it, are officially in the playoffs. Does this, to a certain extent, validate what they've been doing, even though what they've been doing is now kind of tossed up in the air because your GM's gone? <laughs> well, that's, that's a lot to digest. Um, I, I said before the series that they needed to win this. I think Jamie said the same thing, that they needed to win this series to call mm-hmm. this a successful season. They have done that. They've made the playoffs, and that was the goal. I mean, when, when you consider where they were when Rick Tockett got here, and I talked about this with him briefly on the Zoom call, which is an awful format, by the way. You get one question and no follow-ups. Not that I'm bitter. <laughs> but I talked about where he was when they came in. They won one game in October of his first season. They were 1-11-1. They were out of the playoff race immediately. 
And it was, as, as he put, I won't use the language that he used in my story, but it was, it was a bad situation here. It, w- it was a garbage fire. <laughs> and they have slowly built this up. Last year, of course, they had the injuries that just derailed any chance of making the postseason. And then Darcy Kemper's injury probably knocked them out of the traditional playoff format. But the goal has been simply to start by getting into the, the postseason, the playoffs. They did that. So, and officially now with, with this first round. So, I'd say this season was a success, whatever happens in the next round. Yeah, it's, it's hard for me to argue with that. I would like them to win at least a game in the next round. And, and I do think they can, if it's Colorado, I think they can give Colorado some problems. But either way, it, it's funny because we talk so much about nonlinear progression on the show. You can make the argument the Coyotes over the last few years have actually, have actually been able to pull off linear progression, but it's just, it's not very steep. It is just a straight line that is just kind of going and the next step this year was certainly to make the playoffs and I guess the next step next year would be to to go past the round of, uh, of 16 or whatever um, they're not done yet though so <laughs> who knows what, what happens this season but that sort of leads into our next question from Mike um, does winning in, against Nashville improve Steve Sullivan's chances of having the interim tag removed if it ain't broke don't fix it I mean it was, it was weird seeing Sully there as the GM, not like he hasn't been a part of this, but he didn't have anything to do with them winning against Nashville. No, no. I mean, a, a GM at this time of year has no effect on the on-ice product. And they even say that. Yes, the, yeah. they just sit back at this time of year. Yeah, so no, it, I don't think it impacts it whatsoever. Um, I guess maybe the other way to ask that question, though, is he has been very involved in the Coyotes' development of these younger players over the last few years. And like guys like Christian Dvorak and Connor Garland after the first couple games and Clayton Keller had a good series. Um, those guys all, you know, they produced in that series. So maybe there's something to, Hey, they look at Steve Sullivan and they say, you, you are very familiar with this team. If they somehow win another round, if they somehow take Colorado out, I mean, maybe they look and say, we don't want to, we don't want to stir things up. I also think though, if, if a big name GM that they like becomes available, it's established. They're just going to go down that path. Right. Yeah, I mean, no inside information. It's just typically when in those situations, when you have the chance to hire a general manager for the first time, I know they liked John Chica and everything that came out after that, but this is their first opportunity, Morello and company, to hire their own general manager. A lot of times they want a guy that they handpick, and it's usually not the guy that's been there for a while. Even if it's not nothing, no issues with the person that's there, it's an opportunity that you really only afforded every few years, and you hope you're not afforded very often uh, if yeah. things are going well. Hopefully it's not like that give- the league handpicks. <laughs> I would like to give this update. I don't believe I have been bitten by the spider yet, but my internet has dropped twice, and both times when it drops, it just pops up a still photo of Jamie Eisner. It's the weirdest oh, thing, and he, so, he has this silly so Jamie Eisner smile on his face. Like You're not wearing what you're wearing right now, so it's clearly some sort of like file photo that Zoom has of Jamie Eisner, and it's terrifying. Uh, Murdoch. Best Pop-Tart flavor, and who was the unsung hero for the Coyotes in the qualifying round? Ice cream sundae. Oh, it's an abomination. Well, I don't, I don't want to hear that. Oh, I don't want to hear it. Abomination. <laughs> Just go with chocolate. No. Okay, look. Um, no. Cherry is the correct answer, but they don't make it anymore. Oh, no. Cherry's do, the worst. They, they cherry, don't make it for a reason, Luke. Cherry's cherry the absolute the worst. You can't have the icing. They used to Wait, have without icing. Why would you eat a pop tart no. without icing? Cherry is the Detroit Red Wings of pop tarts. They're just the absolute worst, far and away. <laughs> okay, well, I've got another one that neither one of you can disagree Wait, with. I just want to back up to this for a moment. You you ate a pop tart without icing. 
they used to have cherry ones. This was a couple years ago, and they would have like um like like sugar on it. It wasn't icing, but they had like little grains of sugar. And as long as you okay. toasted it, it just no. kind of tasted like cherry no. pie. Okay. No, it just no, sounds no. like you, you took the heel, a heel of bread and just spread some. Yeah. If you want to do that, go eat a toaster shooter like an adult. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie just doesn't like hot dessert, but here's the correct answer. And yeah, also that, don't put your pop tarts in a toaster. What? What? No. what? What do no. you think the pop tart oh. and pop tart is? No, thank you. No, it's no. right there in the name. You're no. just eating. A tart. By yeah. the way, there are, there's a Pop-Tart cereal now, by the way, with like little mini Pop-Tarts. Yeah. So there's, there's a Jolly Rancher cereal. Uh, so that's, that's encouraging. And they brought the Oreo cereal back. And there's Twinkie cereal. Um, okay. Cinnamon brown sugar with icing. Is that's the really good. So, that's really the, good. That's number yeah, two on my list. It, it's that, that's the constant. That's just the, the good. That's the, that's the Pop-Tart that's really good every single yeah. year. Like that, that, that's what that is. That Pop-Tart is the Vegas Golden Knights. It, it's a safety Pop-Tart too. Like when you're at a vending machine, you're going to have usually two options. You have cinnamon brown sugar and you have strawberry or you have some yep. like weird, you know, Birthday foreign pastry. Yeah. And like you have to, you have to make a choice <laughs> and you got to, and your safety choice is that cinnamon brown sugar Pop-Tart. <laughs> yeah. I would have never had this weird foreign pastry. But you know, there's always that. There's always a section. It's usually on the bottom yeah. right. Bottom right. Bottom right. Bottom <laughs> right. Right. It's like a dollar twenty-five, <laughs> and you've never seen it before in your life. But you know, if you take that, you're just going to hate yourself. So you're going to have to go with cinnamon brown sugar. We were taking bets at at the radio station over the last couple months because there's only a few of us in the building right now, and we have the vending machine. And we we're like, which one of these items is going to be in here forever? And I went with the bottom right. I think it was called like a big Texan or something. It was a cinnamon roll that looked like it had been put in there around 1983. It had like sweat through its own wrapper somehow, even though it's not a living thing. And, and it was in there so long that when they, when they switched the other items out, they just threw that one away when they went to refill the other stuff. So Jamie's 100% right for the first time ever. That bottom right corner, yep. just stay away from that corner. Danger zone. <laughs> um, P-Mart, do you think grab? Oh, we didn't give our unsung hero for the first round for the for the Coyotes. Unsung, mm. maybe Derek Stepan. Yeah, I he was solid both yeah. ends of the ice. You mentioned that line um, with uh, with Kraus and Fisher and Soderberg. What do you call that line, Craig? The Clydesdale line. Yep. Um, also interesting to note too, when the Coyotes scored that game winner, I mean that's the fourth line out there five minutes into overtime. So yeah. Rick Tockett. It has long said he wants to be able to feel com- confident and all just rolling any line out there based on the situation. He clearly did in overtime yesterday to be able to put that line with Vinny and, uh, and Brad Richardson out there. So we will, uh, we'll see how that goes going forward. Coaches, Jack Vegas is a heavy team. Do you see big Ilya Labushkin getting some game action? And then you wrote extra beef. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I don't know if he's ordering at Wendy's or if that was still part of this. It was question. like a voice to text. Yeah, <laughs> I I don't think them I don't think they're gonna mess with that defense. Jordan Osterley actually was uh, to me the unsung yeah. hero of that first round for the guy, and he scored yesterday. But even prior to that, I know Tockett really liked his game in the first three games. He said after the game yesterday, Tockett did yeah. that they weren't even sure Osterley was gonna play in the series until they saw him in the uh, the second edition of training camp, and Osterley basically told them he has to be in the lineup the, the way he played in camp, and then I thought he was. Good to great and pretty much all four games. Yeah, so he's not coming out. It, but what if they lose a game 
and they want to make a change, then then maybe you put in a guy like yeah. Ilya because you got you do have more size back there, and that that will be important against a team like Vegas. Now, if it's Colorado, I could see Jordan Osterley just staying in there because yeah. you want puck movers, you want speed. And in theory, you have a little bit more time to make those choices. I mean, I I fear it's going to be a short series, but you do have a little bit of maneuverability, especially if you can grab one of those first couple and give yourself a little bit of leeway that if things start to go, you know, you start to get down 2-1, get down 3-1 in a series, then you have the ability to make those moves. Um, you're obviously never going to sit this guy, but what did you think of Chikrin's first playoff series? Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't – I've been leading the, uh, the Chikrin parade all season. And I think he was their breakout player this year. And I, obviously, he could still play a big role in these playoffs. But I thought, especially in game one and game two, he was just kind of – he almost looked nervous in game one. Yeah, he made mistakes. He made a lot of mistakes. Uh, he definitely needs to take his game up another level. Um, Joseph, what's more shocking, the Hawks winning their series with Edmonton, that Columbus was four minutes from winning their series and lost, or in two years the Penguins will have won only one playoff game? Or in two years the Penguins have only won one playoff game? I think from I think big picture it's the it's the Penguins because it's not like this is a team that's been limping into the postseason just skating by they're getting there they're they're riding their coattails of the past this has been a team that's been toward the top of the East with their stars relatively healthy which is something that they didn't they have not had in in years past I I would not have guessed that particularly with the opponents that they've played in the last two postseasons that they would have struggled as mightily as they have. Yeah, I, I wasn't shocked by Chicago beating Edmonton. I mean, it's yeah. it, it is a twelve seed beating a five seed, and we all picked Edmonton. But again, I think we all picked Edmonton at five. I mean, that that so that one's not Columbus blowing a three goal lead with four minutes left and losing in overtime. It's tough to argue with that. I would be even more shocked if they are able to pull it together and somehow win Game Five. But that had all the makings of a Toronto can't get over, Toronto can't get over the hump, and then all of a sudden they have a weird comeback like that and they go on a run. Has NHL Public Relations put out anything yet on sort of the magnitude of that rally by Toronto? I'm curious if that's happened before. I haven't seen it yet. If it, 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 I haven't seen anything. Okay. Um, I'm looking at my email right now and I don't see anything. That's okay. We have 70 more questions. So. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, this is the one from PMR. Does do you think Grabner did enough to avoid being healthy scratched? And if so, do you keep him with Richie and Vinny? I mean, that that is – I like that line, That just that speed line. A lot of it will depend on matchups though, right? Yeah. Um, Christina, a lot of these questions we've sort of answered. Which, which Coyotes player impressed you the most during the play-in series? I mean, Kemper is the answer. Who do you want to see more from? For me, it's Chikrin. Thoughts on the team's odds against Colorado or Vegas? It depends who they play. We've kind of gone through that. Savory breakfast or sweet breakfast? Savory without Savory. Yeah. Wow. We all agree on this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, I'm not a I big sweet you... breakfast fan. I mean, I'll bring in the Dunkin' Munchkins, obviously. That hasn't happened in a while. It's amazing how much money I've saved. But <laughs> but I would prefer eggs, yeah, bacon, it's, it's a, you know, that sort a, of thing. Amazing how much less fulfilling your life is too if you can't bring Jamie and I coffee and donuts every week. I never, I never, I haven't thought that one week. Oh, well, I, I no, think we big have. picture you'll take a step back. Yeah, it's, I haven't had donuts in a long time. Um, Cheryl, oh, I don't like this question. I don't think is it I, penguin related? I, I, well, I see the word penguins in there. <laughs> I feel like my joy about the Coyotes making it to the real playoffs is cheating on my first love, the Penguins, so that I should be feeling mostly just sad about their utter collapse. Should I feel guilty about this affair de puck? Well, Cheryl here, let me answer this question for you. No, the Penguins did this to themselves. The Coyotes showed heart in their series. 
half of Pittsburgh just seemed to quit. And um, the Zach Ashton Reese penalty, this is the only thing I saw from the third period of that game, was idiotic. It's the goal Montreal scored the game winner on. Granted, it was horrible officiating because he had been like thrown headfirst into the wall right before that. But I don't know how you get up and do something that either puts your team shorthanded in a game where Montreal has all the momentum, even though you've dominated, or at the very least takes a penalty away. I don't feel bad for Pittsburgh at all. That was quite honestly one of their more embarrassing losses and performances I've ever seen watching them my entire life in the playoffs. I would say, because, to Cheryl, oh, I'm sorry, you're still going. No, yeah, but you can talk. I'll just, I'll, I'll keep going. This feels like therapy. This feels like therapy. (laughs) Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I am uh, my last thing. I am very thankful for the coyotes going to overtime yesterday. So I couldn't even be tempted to turn that trash heap of a penguins game where they got shut out by an awful team in an elimination (laughs) contest on. I couldn't even, I didn't even put it like on the TV and the radio booth. They're on their own. If they're going to do that. I will say this to you, Cheryl. You left the Penguins. You decided it was time for a new relationship. So it's time to move on with your life. It's good to feel sympathy, but it's okay to move on with your life. And look, Cheryl, you had some great years with the Penguins. There's nothing wrong with that. Nobody will take those memories away. But they're just not the same team slash person they were a couple years ago. (laughs) Uh, Coyote in Philly, what is your favorite animated movie? Ooh. Oh, uh, Kung Fu Panda. Huh. What was the sound before you said Kung Fu Panda? Was that some yeah, sort of I'm Kung not Fu sure. Panda quote? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sound like you were being attacked by a lawnmower hmm. and you won. Hmm. I'm going to think of this the second we get off the air. I haven't seen a lot of the Pixar movies. Like I've seen Toy Story and Toy Story was really good, but it's been a long time since I've seen it. Um, I mean, the Simpsons movie was good. And I'm only thinking of that because it's been referenced on Twitter about 5,000 times because they live in a bubble. I've never seen Kung Fu Panda. Craig, you recommend I go watch it? You should watch Kung Fu Panda. It's Jack Black. Jamie might be watching an animated movie right now as we record. Jamie, do you have an answer? I mean, does Lion King count? Sure. Yeah. I mean, for the original, I mean, that that would probably be that one. I I love the first Finding Nemo as well. Hmm. Those are good choices. I did see Finding Nemo. I, don't I haven't seen the second or whatever, the Finding Dory or whatever. Finding Dory. Yeah, Not I haven't seen that one yet. No. That's what Not I've heard. Surprising. Sequels rarely match up. So, yeah, don't bother. Especially when I'm not a kid or not anymore. Like, I no, feel that, like that, that even more. That shouldn't matter, Jamie. You should be able to embrace it still. No, I'm not I'm a pretty, kid hard either. I'm, yeah, that's true. You are an angry I'm a, 85 I'm a, I'm a surly man. <laughs> I'm a you surly. You people off your lawn. Uh, cynical. Yeah. I t- totally forgot what I was going to say now this is why people have kids, isn't it, Craig? So that you have yeah. an excuse to watch Disney movies. Well, I mean, it's, it's a nice offshoot. Yeah. And then in your case, you can blame them for forcing you to play board games, even though you secretly love them. Uh, no, oh. no, I don't, don't mistake me for someone who can even tolerate board games. <laughs> uh, Eldon, I've heard multiple times about the good vibes within the Coyotes locker room. Do you think that gives the Coyotes any advantage in the Taylor Hall sweepstakes, or do you think it simply comes down to the money? I, I don't think it hurts to have a harmonious locker room. And I, I really do. I don't think it's just hyperbole to say that. I really believe that's the case with this season's Coyotes locker room. It's, it's one of the best I've ever covered. And I said it early in the season and then had a couple players say the same thing to me, Alex Goligosky, one of them, that it, it, it's as harmonious as any locker room he's ever been in. Now, that, that's going to help 
when, when guys get along, but yeah, money's going to play a major role here yeah. for Taylor Hall in a really weird UFA market too, which is going to be impacted by COVID and also the ability to win that matters to Taylor Hall. So maybe what the Coyotes do in this next round will matter as well. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's certainly a factor, but it's also, he's not going to take $7 million a year because of the locker room. No, no, I, I think, yeah, I mean, you're right. I like if, the if tunes. <laughs> but but, but, but it is important. It, it is important overall. I mean, I, if you th- think back to like even that 2010 team of just how cohesive and how like players that were being traded to the team are going, wow, what a, what an environment this is. This is even in a brief period of time. I mean, that, that is a factor, but I don't think it's going to be the biggest factor. Well, Ilya Pizgalov was here, so well, there was some, <laughs> never mind. We've talked about this though. Those those that 2010 team, the 2009 team, when you had the combination of uh, of Brzezgalov and Keith Yandel and Paul Bisson. I mean, you talk about some personality in that locker yes. room. It's, some uh, le- a bit big leaders too, though, with like Doan and Nakorin, and yeah, I mean, there yeah. was, it was a very interesting mix. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think though that that cohesiveness. I, it's funny that that was brought up because I, I felt like it was noticeable on the ice in Game Four in particular, where. You know, it, it felt like it feels like all these guys kind of want to win for each other, and I, and I think a good chunk of that is because so many of them are experiencing the playoffs for the first time. Like I don't know what that's like in three years if they make the playoffs every year, but it just it did seem like everybody was willing to sacrifice for the next person to get the puck or you know whatever has to happen on the ice. It, it doesn't feel like it's about individual stats, and not like I'm looking around at other teams in the playoffs and they're focused on individuality. But for the most part, this season, it really does feel just like a team moving up and down the ice, which is great for your uh, your organization going forward. Like you guys both said, though, that's not going to get you Taylor Hall. If your money is in the same range, and maybe it's just a little bit less than a team like Calgary or Colorado that offers, and you can say, hey, look, you like it here, you like Arizona, you know, we get along really well, we have some stability, and we maybe we even win another series in these playoffs – that I think would help, but it's not going to, it's not going to do everything. How about if they play Colorado and it, it's, it's basically the Taylor Hall series. Well, that would be cool. I think we'd all like to see that, um, but that's, I mean, that's him playing for the market, isn't it? That, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that he's coming back here. No, no. I just, I, I, I for the longest time have thought it's either Colorado or Calgary. That's going to try and wrestle him. A uh, little coyote fan, Chicago question, Lou Malnati's or Giordano's. Also, who has been the biggest surprise for the Blackhawks? Uh, well, Dominic Kubala, who I mentioned before, not not necessarily surprised in that he was a Calder Trophy finalist, but I didn't realize he would play as well as he did in this series. He was he was dynamite in that series. As for pizza, it's absolutely Giordano's. Lumalnati's, and I'm going to take some hate for this, Lumalnati's is one of the most overrated pizzas out there. The sauce is bland, and the sauce is everything to a pizza. Now, I, I like that they have fresh ingredients and, and all the other stuff they do, but the sauce just isn't there. Giordano's is. And to Craig's point, the sauce is the pizza if it's Chicago style. So exactly, because there's nothing else. Here's in there. my but um, uh, there there are other things, Jamie. So, but yes, but the answer is pizza hate to a minimum here. No, I I enjoy both. I know which one's better, but I enjoy both. Mm-hmm. How's uh, that Craig, Pittsburgh style taste- pizza or Seattle style pizza, Luke? Hey, one of the best pizzas I've ever had was actually in downtown Seattle. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm, I'll have to go try it the next time the Cubs play the Kraken. So Luke's hot spots for pizza are downtown Seattle and Anaheim. Yes. Hey, look, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> out there finding them. the best pizza for you guys. Yes. Yeah. So that's just the way it is. I got it. Thanks. We'll try those sometime. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you guys are missing out if you don't. Uh, Craig, my question for you on the pizza, is it 
do Luminati's and or Giordano's, do they taste different in Chicago than they taste here? Because I have heard that to be the case. It's definitely the case, sure. but 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 Lou Malnati's sauce is also bland back in Chicago. It's I've, I've never been a big fan. I, my my cousins and my uncle were actually big fans of Lou Malnati's, and I never got it. I never usually, understood. Usually, the sauce translates pretty well across state lines. It's usually yeah, it's the dough that doesn't the crust. Yeah, like the taste What's of the up? yeah. What what's the one that they have at the Cubs spring training facility? Is that Giordano's or is that Gino's? I don't know. I think it's Gino's. Yeah, Gino's is more of a well known brand, but also I wouldn't consider the best pizza there. Giordano's yeah. is better. Uh, there's a place called Pequod Pizza. Yeah, that's, that's the best pizza in Chicago. As as everyone's probably aware, if they've ever traveled anywhere, if you know the name of a big name restaurant, it's probably not the best in that area. It's right, probably yeah. some no name place that you haven't heard of, or like a secondary level of like the locals know what it is, but if it's a national, even if it's gone national odds are, it's probably not the best, just the most popular. Yeah. And I'm well, not and sure I, if Nancy's is around anymore. Uh, they may have some locations still. I, I think a couple of them closed, but Nancy's pizza is great in Chicago too. I, I have, I've had Giordano's and Luminati's, which I like both Gino's. I had heard it was amazing. If that's the one I had at the Cubs spring training game, I think it was partially because it was at a Cubs spring training game and not the actual restaurant or in Chicago, but that one was a, a distant third. It's overrated, just like Uno, right? You, Uno's went na- nationwide for a while, and it was always overrated pizza. Well, yeah, because they dumped eight pounds one. of salt in it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Booper, did it surprise you to see guys like Tockett, Kemper, and Hall show so much emotion on the game winner? It's fun seeing guys normally – uh, celebrate who are, are normally serious. Not talk it, um, uh, but Darcy Kemper, yeah, I don't see much emotion from him ever. So, yeah, that was good to see. Uh, Los Coyote Steve, is all-day playoff hockey here to stay? My wife hates it, but I'm not sure the NHL can ever go back from staggered times in play-in series. Well, Jamie wants to kill everyone's fun, so that's what I would say to that. <laughs> uh, I, I do think on some level um, – I do think on some level that they will experiment with this a little bit more, but I don't think it's going to be like this because hopefully this time, I guess it would be 10 months from now, uh, we won't be all stuck at home. Yeah, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Um, here's a couple questions that are similar. Craig and Phoenix was, or I'm sorry, Chris and Phoenix, was Craig preparing his vocal cords for an initial rendering of No Canada when Toronto was down 3 nothing with four minutes left in game four to Columbus? In fact, he I was, and I was. texted Luke about it. I texted you both about it. Yeah. Yeah. And then instantly Toronto scored and Todd and Phoenix. I wonder if these guys are related because it's Chris and Phoenix and Todd and Phoenix. Hmm. After which round of the playoffs, do you think it will be appropriate for Craig to sing no Canada again? Well, when all Canadian teams are eliminated. So um, how many, how many do we have moving on? Let's see. Vancouver is moving on. Vancouver, Toronto, Calgary, Calgary, Montreal. So we have four teams moving on. I got to believe at least one of them is getting out of the next round. So maybe after the second round of the postseason. Yeah, we don't know the matchups yet, but I still think Toronto is the team with the best shot of going the deepest. Although I don't, I mean, Vancouver, I I think Vancouver or Calgary. Yeah, that's that. Maybe that's true. Vancouver or Calgary is going to get Dallas. I think whoever, whichever of those two gets Dallas. Dallas. Yeah. Montreal is absolutely losing in the next round. I would bet everything I have, even if it is Tampa they're playing. Yeah, I think if Toronto wins today, I think two or tomorrow, two of the uh, four Canadian teams that advance will go out in the next round. Uh, A. Smith, in regards to the draft, let's say Edmonton gets first overall. Is it worth getting Lafreniere when you need a defenseman? I mean, you still have to take him. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, and then, you, you acquire assets and then you, you use those assets for like, like we talked about earlier, maybe you trade a guy like Ryan Nugent Hopkins to get that defenseman. Maybe you trade him for a, you know, a, a third pairing defenseman and make the trade one for one. And save. But Fernier, if he plays up to his potential, then in four years you can blame him for everything and trade him for Adam Larson's little brother. There you go. Um, Los Coyote Steve, which teams who have been eliminated thus far need to make major overhauls to their roster and could be potential targets for Arizona to make a hockey trade that improves our cap flexibility? That's a long sentence, Los Coyote Steve. Yowza. Boy, without looking at all the team's cap situations, I don't feel like I can answer that well right now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean Edmonton and Pittsburgh jumped to mind, but I, I don't know. I don't know what sort of moves those like you've you've detailed what Edmonton can do. I don't really know Pittsburgh can do much of anything. I think the spider did bite me. I think something oh, bit me. Well, okay, we didn't see it. Honestly, we never saw it crawling up behind you. Uh, Mark, who is the most frustrating player on the Coyotes, and why is he at Antiratta? <laughs> well, he's certainly in the running. <laughs> And what's a guy going to do? He took a puck off the head, okay? Yeah. That, that yeah. wasn't his fault. That was, that was Brad Richardson, yesterday's hero. <laughs> That's, the, the other interesting element of that, too, though, is if they end up – because what, he has one more year left? Yeah. If you extend him, are you just extending him to give him to Seattle? Like who else would you take on the Coyotes roster at that point? I mean, I, I know this is way off in left field there, but just something I thought about the other day. I was like, because I know we've, we've, we've evaluated the Antiranta angle from all sides between the injuries earlier in the year to now. It's just, it, it just becomes an interesting factor of they might not get the opportunity beyond next year to actually roll. I mean, I guess you can always give Seattle something to not take players. We've seen that before, but that they might only have a chance to roll with this one more year. Yeah, I, and I think so. That's I don't think they're going to extend him. So I, I would I would think the goaltender that they would leave exposed is Aiden Hill, and then you hope that Ivan Prozvatov is ready to move into the backup role behind Darcy Kemper. Uh, Josh, do you see the lines for Arizona changing? That Keller Garland line seem pretty small against Vegas if they play them. Donut follow up: Simple Donut, Duncan, or Gourmet Hertz Donut? I've never had Hertz Donut actually. Neither have I. But I like gourmet donuts. I'm, I'm a big fan of donuts. It's, it's, it's one of the great American pastries. Well, you're bougie, so this is not a surprise. Yeah, well, there you go. What were the other questions? <laughs> Do you see the lines for Arizona changing? Yes. Specifically if they play Vegas. Yes, the lines will change because they changed in the playoffs. They will change after a loss. They, they get shaken up all the time. And, yeah, matchups will play a factor as well. And there was a, a, a third part to that question, wasn't there? Uh, he just said that Keller Garland line seems pretty small against Vegas if they play yeah, them. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the Coyotes are a small team. It's not just it's not just uh, Garland and Keller. It's Hennestros is small. Schmaltz is small. I mean, they they have they've built a small team. That's partially why I'd rather see them play Colorado than uh, than Vegas. Um, AZ hockey nut of the teams that were upset so far. Which one or ones can the GM or the coach? Hmm. We talked about Pittsburgh already. Yeah. I mean, Toronto is going to melt down if they lose to Columbus, but I don't know that they're going to make any huge changes. How, how safe do you think Sheldon Keefe is if they, if they had lost last night or even if they lose tomorrow? I don't know. That's so much change to, to have in such a short period of time. It, it would seem a little crazy. But it's uh, Toronto, so, you know, they yeah. do crazy. Um, AZ Hockey Nut, when does, what does this mean – what does this win mean for Arizona hockey? It means a lot. It means a lot for the franchise. And we, we talked about this earlier in the show about how this wasn't good for Montreal to move past uh, 
the qualifying round because they really need to stockpile picks. Look, Arizona needs more talent. Most, more specifically, they need an elite number one center who they hope Barrett Hayton is going to become and whom I am not convinced is going to become that guy. That's, that's what's missing in their lineup. You only get that if you finish in the top two spots in, in the draft. They weren't going to get that this year. Uh, I wonder if the NHL was going to take it away from them, even if they did. Um, so at some point, you need to show some progress toward the postseason. I mean, that's, that's what teams strive for. They strive to make the postseason. This team hadn't been there in seven seasons. It's really important to take that step for the growth of your young core to get them that sort of experience. So in this particular instance, I thought this was more important for them. Yeah, I think that's a great distinction to draw between a team like Montreal that's clearly entering towards rebuild, whether they're going to go full rebuild or whatever, and a team like the Coyotes, who, I mean, you could just feel it around the city yesterday, how much it meant to the fan base, and not even just hockey fans, but like Suns fans and D-backs fans and Cardinals fans, to finally have a team advance in the postseason. And to your point, Craig, I mean, they weren't getting a number one center in this year's draft either way, because even if they have the pick, it's not like if they lost and they didn't get the first pick, they were getting the second pick. It's only that first pick that's up for grabs. If you have the first pick, you have to take Lafreniere. Now, don't get me wrong. I would like Alexis Lafreniere on the Coyotes, but I think for some teams it meant more to win and potentially keep winning. And I think the Coyotes, honestly, were on the very top of that list. There's not many teams that are left in these playoffs that hadn't won a playoff series since 2012. It's something to build around. And that's something that this organization hasn't really had a tangible winning progress to build around in a while. And, you know, this could be, from a purely hockey standpoint, the way that this worked out could be a blessing in disguise because I don't think they're going to have a lot of success in quote unquote round one. But it's not, it's, this is going to be different because it feels like you've already won a playoff series. It feels like you're losing in round two now versus maybe, you know, sneaking into a wild card spot and losing in five games in the first round. You know what I mean? It, it, this is a whole yeah. different scenario at this point. So it's something they can build around even if they even if they get swept out of the next round. What's the worst case scenario? It's still a step forward, which is what we've been talking about this team needing to make and not just theoretically in actual wins and losses in a postseason series. They beat a team with a better record than them and they and they and they played on neutral ice. I mean, they didn't play a home game or an away game, but they didn't play a home game the entire series and they won in four. Uh, I think that is a significant step forward for them that they will need to take another step next year, but they've already accomplished what they needed to get to this year. And I think that that's, we talk about, I brought up on the show a lot, the stair step to success. Well, they've taken now their first step of, of that postseason column of that staircase. Jamie Eisner's stair step to success. Do you guys have time for a couple more of these fast questions? Uh, a couple more. Yeah. Okay. Um, Corbs, how do we feel about fans growing playoff beards? Do what you want. Yeah. I'm not going to grow a beard for the playoffs. I mean, I'm not going to grow a beard for the playoffs because I'm not part of a team and I'm supposed to be, you know, as, as objective as possible as, as a media member. But for a fan, sure, why not? Go for it. Um, hockey guy 9-4. Talk about the new Mesa rink. I don't know anything about it other than the, the press release at this point, but it's really cool that they did that and it's going to be focused on girls and women's hockey. I like that. That's, yeah, I, that I is, do like that. The, uh, in, in terms of outreach for, for the Coyotes, uh, that's going to be a, a, just as significant as the Latinx market for, for their outreach efforts. Uh, they're going to really try and grow girls and women's hockey in the state. I do like uh, the, the Coyotes seem to have really legitimately noticed this over the last few years and seem to be taking action on getting very involved in the community and not just, uh, oh, hey, you know, we're going to, we're your local NHL team, so come watch us. Here's a, a ticket drive or something. 
they are actually getting involved and embracing the fact that if you're going to call this a non-traditional market, then maybe they can reach non-traditional audiences. And uh, I, I absolutely mm-hmm. am enthusiastic about that. Uh, James, so when are we getting shirts? And we're working on it, James. And Paul, this is a big one. What kind of shot is Craig holding in his new profile pic? <laughs> I, can't it's, see. I can tell you it's whiskey. Well, I would hope you know what it is since well, you are it's, Craig. It's, it's been a while. I can't remember the brand, to be honest. It was a good brand. Must have. If you can't remember, yeah. it must have been great. Well, my, my sister-in-law oh, yeah. bought it for me. That, that's in a bar in Jackson, Wyoming. And she bought, yeah, me, the, she bought me the drink. You it was good. Like you're in Wyoming in that picture. It was, it was tasty. Uh, okay, we'll close with this. Dangle Snipe Belly. Uh, better matchup for the oats we've already hit. Anybody look truly bad all series? I didn't think so. I didn't love Hayton's game, but they pulled him and replaced him. Yeah, and Chikrin, we talked about needing to mm-hmm. take a step up. So those, those yeah. would be a couple guys that I would identify. I mean, I don't know how much Barrett Hayton's going to play the rest of the way, to be honest. Uh, Jamie's back. Well, that certainly is a thing. Boy, is it ever. And animal cookie or animal cracker? Which animal is most fun to eat? Uh, I will go with animal cookie. Mm-hmm. And I have had a lot of experience with them recently because my daughters are, you know, not that far removed from eating animal cookies. And it was always, for some reason, very satisfying for me to bite off the head of the lion. <laughs> is this like a power okay. thing? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. Okay. Dominance. <laughs> All right. <laughs> On that note, we're going to wrap up. Thanks to everybody for listening. For uh, Jamie Eisner, Craig Morgan, I'm Luke Lipinski. Yes, thanks to thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick podcast. I'm so discombobulated now. And never eat the honey bun. <laughs>